Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Welcome to the Debunking Economics podcast with Professor Steve Keen and I'm Phil Dobby. And today we look at Bitcoin. What's it all about? I thought it started out as a means of buying stuff online, but it seems to have become a currency that's traded and little else. So is there any future for Bitcoin? And what does it mean for sovereign currencies controlled by central banks? Could we ever see a true global currency? That's today on the Debunking Economics podcast. Well, since the days of fiat money, we've seen the amount of money in circulation multiplied many fold. And we've talked about how it's generated by governments through their central banks, but also by commercial banks. But we also have bitcoins created in 2009. Many of us have probably never traded in it. But isn't it also new money not created by government or banks? And if everyone started using bitcoins, what does it mean for sovereign currencies? So uh, Professor Steve Keen is with us again, of course. So Steve, first of all, I mean, is it new money? I mean, is it actually adding to the amount of uh, money that is in circulation? Um. It is if you can actually buy something with Bitcoin directly. That's 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 the real story. If you go to the local shop and you buy uh, with Bitcoin as opposed to buying with uh, pounds that you've got because you sold your Bitcoin, then you have created new money. And this is where Hyman Minsky made this point uh, in a little throwaway line. So a few decades ago, anybody can create money. The difficult part is, uh, lies in getting it accepted. Mm. So for you to actually have that Bitcoin turn into genuine money, you have to find somebody else who's willing to accept that as pay payment for whatever you're buying. Now, we do know of a famous case of somebody buying, I think, a couple of pizzas with some hundreds of Bitcoin, uh, where if they hang onto those Bitcoin and didn't actually use them, they would now be worth like $5 million, uh, from $5 to $5 million. And this is both a strength and a weakness of Bitcoin. So it was accepted for that transaction for pizzas all that time ago. You can use it to buy stuff today, but people would rather hoard it and see the price go up. But why do they accept it? You know, it's uh, and I know. Look, I mean, part of the reason it was devised initially, of course, it was it was really to demonstrate a technology more than anything, wasn't it? Rather than for any economic reason, it was uh, you know, he here's a way. It, it's almost like a peer to peer relationship that creates money. Uh, yeah. So I'm I'm sure someone created it really as as for mental stimulation more than anything else. But why did it catch on? Why would suddenly people go, well, okay, this is a new currency. Let's believe it. I think partly because uh, one of the elements that's quite common in the uh, in the uh, uh, social periphery is the belief that money, gold, should be or is money, and uh, and it was all being debased and it's all been turned into this terrible fiat stuff we have to get rid of, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And we don't trust the government, we don't trust the central bank, yada yada yada. And in that basis, this was a seen as a solution that melded both of those elements because since it used the, the blockchain technology, which was the real technological uh, advance of Bitcoin, since it used the blockchain technology to guarantee that uh, a transaction was valid 
and then and also to maintain a, a complete data trail of all transactions that were ever ever taken uh, uh, by by any any Bitcoin whatsoever anywhere on the planet. Um, those were technological advances. Uh, that attracted people, but it was also based on an analogy to gold. And this is the funny thing about it. We talk about Bitcoin mining. Well, of course, you don't, you know, they're drilling holes in the, um, in the, uh, in the, the earth. You're drilling, you're drilling for zeros, effectively, mm. along strings that generate zeros, which are highly improbable. And therefore, once they're confirmed, uh, you found one of the new Bitcoins, and there's 21 million of them. Yeah. And this, this was, based on an analogy, there's only a finite amount of gold on the planet. But I've always seen a couple of flaws with that. Because that is the idea, wasn't it? That it's, it's limited. There will always only ever be, as you say, 21 million. So I guess it, yeah. is, it is a bit like the, the, the gold standard in, in only- that it's not going to expand. Yeah, no, well, it, it won't expand, but other forms can come along quite happily, thanks yeah. very much. Yeah. Anybody else can use – there's Startcoin, there's Joincoin. I've forgotten. I think there's about 20 different variations that exist right now, and I've been invited to go and speak at a conference uh, of, of uh, digital money uh, developers and the public in a couple of months' time somewhere in – I think it's in Birmingham. You can tell me how far that is from Roland. I don't, I don't actually know. Um, but, far, but, far enough to be comfortable. There you is go. The, is, <laughs> I can sit on a train. Apologies to anyone listening in Birmingham, uh, but uh, <laughs> an hour and a half on the train there probably. Go two, there, there go two subscribers straight away. Um, yeah, it's but but the person who totally invited me to the thing then mentioned, "Have you heard about? I've forgotten what it's called, Blarcoin." And I said, no, I haven't heard about it. I'm not, I'm not particularly aware of the complete ecosystem of, of, of blockchain uh, currencies. But this is the point: it is impossible to make more gold. Well, it's possible. Mm. It's a bit difficult, however. What you have to do is, first of all, grab two neutron stars, shove them together, and then collect gold out of the explosion, the, 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 the catastrophic explosion that would destroy the galaxy in which those two neutron stars exist. Grab some of the gold, and bang, you've created more of the gold. Easier to Another- create money out of nothing, is what you're saying. Exactly. It's easy to create another blockchain technology, yeah. and therefore there's not just 21 million bitcoins. There's God knows how many of the other Startcoin, Joincoin, Blarcoin, uh, Dumcoin uh, that have been created. So you don't have the uniqueness of gold anymore, and that's one thing which is always, um, you know, always a weakness of imagining you can create a digital equivalent to a physical commodity. But if we did see a lot of this, and if, I mean, Bitcoin, I, I guess they arbitrarily said, yeah, we're going to have 21 million coins. They could have said, yeah. well, we're going to have 50 million or 100 million. Or could they oh. actually say, well, we're going to have 100 million, then we're going to have 150 million the year after and 200 million the year after. Or we're going to change it, you know, based on yeah. how we see the, the value of our, our, our coins, you know, let, let's behave like a central bank, in other words. Um, so if this catches on, doesn't it sort of devalue the role of sovereign currencies a little bit? Only if it works. And this mm. is the other side of it, because uh, you have to have a, a digital wallet to store this stuff. And the digital wallet can, of course, the initial ones were created just for, for Bitcoin. But you could have other sorts of coins there as well. well. Then you start getting questions of arbitrage between the different sorts of coins, et cetera, et cetera. And you start getting an extremely complicated uh, ecosystem, which means that it's a very complicated task of working out which particular money you want to go and, and buy that next uh, soy latte with. Right. And this is this is one of the dilemmas that I see when you see what actually is money is more than just something which somebody accepts for transactions. It has to have a range of other characteristics to make it work effectively as money. And one of those is stability. 
you don't want to have to go out and take twice as many coins as you knew you used yesterday to go and buy coffee in cases twice as expensive or half as expensive perhaps in the currency you're actually using. So even though we complain about uh, inflation, uh, which is I think is still ridiculous because we're living in a deflationary world these days, but nonetheless, people will whinge about inflation reducing the value of the dollar. It's consistent. Um, there hasn't been periods of ra rapid inflation and deflation within minutes of each other. But that is the realm of the Bitcoin technology when you look at the uh, the prices being paid for Bitcoin. So that stability doesn't exist there. And then the other advantage of money is that it's simple. Uh, it's When you walk into a supermarket, you are confronted with 10,000 potential choices. Of course, we don't think like bloody economists. In other words, we'd, we'd die of anorexia before we got uh, down half an aisle. Uh, so we use habit to get through all those particular um, decisions. But it is, it is still, money is not one of those decisions. You just know, you walk past, you see what's called, and this is, again, where the, the theory of pricing gets in the way, the theory versus reality. When you walk down the aisle, you, you'll see, this is actually an example I find quite amusing. I love coconut coconut water. I'm a junkie. Right. I love the stuff. Okay, It costs £3.75 in my local co-op and £2.75 in the local Iceland. Now, that's ridiculous that there's a, a bigger difference in how much markup is applied, but the price doesn't vary. If I, if I, you know, I, I can't, if I go and bought, if I bought the entire stock of, uh, of coconut water from Iceland, the price would still be two seventy five after I walked out the door. They wouldn't raise the price again. Um, so this stability of pricing is an element most of us face, not market supply and demand driven prices. We face, I've forgotten the actual term that the, the non-neoclassical non economists gave for administered prices. That's what uh, uh, a guy called Gardner Means did back when he examined the pricing system in American capitalism in the 40s and 50s. That we don't have a, a floating free market supply and demand determined price system. We have administered prices. They're declared, they're set, and they stay that way for some substantial time. Now, the Bitcoin world is again based on this vision of supply and demand type prices where everything varies all the time and we're rapidly trying to work out the best possible price. It would be a pain in the tip to have to do that every time you went shopping. Right. So these are practical elements of the current behavior of Bitcoin that I think get in the way of actually becoming genuinely money that would replace fiat money. Okay, well, you got me a little bit confused there because why is Bitcoin, if I oh, buy... <laughs> and it's bound to happen sooner or later. Actually, it happens more often. I just don't let on. Uh, but, uh, if I had I... a giggle in the background a while ago, yes. <laughs> but if, I, uh, if I'm using a Bitcoin online to buy something, yeah. and I understand most people actually are just trading in it rather than using it to actually buy stuff, but if I, if I bought something online, isn't it a set price? So many bitcoins, I buy it that way, and it doesn't make any difference whether it's a, a bitcoin or I'm paying the price in Australian dollars, does it? I think well, if, you're very, if you're buying a physical commodity, then it is going to vary depending on the price of bitcoin. And one thing people are selling no. all the time as, as a sign of how good bitcoin is is how much it's appreciated compared to everything, including gold, in the last ten years, right. however long it's existed. So what? But, that, but I mean, that, that, is part that, of the that instability. Okay, but that, that instability applies with any currency, doesn't it? The price you're paying in Australian dollars will depend on how strong the Australian dollar is and whether you're getting a, a, a good deal or not based on the strength of the dollar. So it's the same with the bitcoin. But I think your, no, po your point no. is the bitcoin is continually going up continually going up and it's going up compared to everything else but it also has had very significant crashes at various times mm. now if it's going to generally become money it's got to stabilize right and, and is that a fact of scale 
Um, yeah, scale of adoption, but it, it's also can you would you use it regularly for transactions? Would you know like the again my local coffee shop is it going to declare a price of coffee in Bitcoin? Now, if it did for a start, the price couldn't be administered because. Given the current behavior of Bitcoin with the price rising all the time, you'd have to have the price in coffee terms falling all the time. Uh, so they couldn't actually write a price up in, 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 on, the, on the blackboard in that sense. But the second one, which is something I wasn't aware of until I work with a couple of companies who are actually developing other, other blockchain technologies. Do you know, do you know, I don't suppose you do know, I'll ask you anyway. Do you know how long it takes to actually verify a Bitcoin transaction? Well, to surprisingly, the answer to that question is no. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> The answer is 10. I thought it would be in the order of milliseconds. It's 10 minutes. Wow. Okay. Now, therefore, if you do actually use this for regular transactions, there's no way you're going to wait 10 minutes to get it verified. Now, I find it a bit I – mean, I'm, I'm, I'm So a it's, not, it's not going to be used in this, in this uh, for high-frequency trading then? No, it's 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 far too. Um, it, it is deliberately. This is why it costs money to mine Bitcoin. This is why apparently the world's major Bitcoin producers, so-called, are based in Outer Mongolia right now, and they're paying their workers lousy wages and you know, not air conditioning the well. They're being conditioned by the heat of the of the heat sinks from the computers that are being used to to try to find the prime numbers that generate the next Bitcoin Bitcoin uh, uh, out of out of the ether, but. They are incredibly uh, energy intensive, and there's a positive and a negative to this. So, as people point out to me, yes, it's energy intensive. Yes, it takes a long time, but it replaces the back office that banks currently use to verify transactions. If you imagine going down to the coffee shop to buy your soy latte, and you have your uh, debit card, and you tap it, tap it on the screen. That is going back to a centralised uh, system, which verifies it's probably you using the card. Uh, it's probably a, a genuine transaction. We'll accept, we'll approve it, and it goes through in a matter of two or three seconds. If you're using Bitcoin, it's going to take ten minutes. Mm. So, so the, again, there's now a business of pre-verifying transactions in Bitcoin, and the person who's pre-verifying is taking the risk of actually fraudulently using somebody else's Bitcoin to buy that buy that soy latte. Right. But it, at least, it is at least they've got yeah. time to make a decent soy latte, haven't they? But uh, but uh, with the you know very often soy sure. lattes, uh, yeah. It, um, well, but you know very often in this country particularly, you know they press a button, it's there in one minute, and it tastes bloody awful. Whereas you know that's oh. the in Australia, you know they you could spend ten minutes on a soy latte and it would taste good at the end. But uh, we digress. I thought you're talking about people generating bitcoins. I thought of bitcoin. Oh. There were twenty one million of them. They existed. They're not physical no. coins. No, no I'm wrong they, on that. What? What what they are is fundamentally based on prime numbers. I don't actually know, I haven't I haven't checked the algorithm itself, uh, which I which I could do one of these days. But the basic idea is combinations of prime numbers are incredibly hard to locate. Uh, there's people one might know what's called the sieve of Aristophanes, which is the first way to try to work out what uh, what an, a prime number is a number which can only be divided by itself or one. Yeah. Okay. And and in, in getting in getting an integer answer and. Um, the, the the there's what's called the Ryman uh, the Ryman calculus, which is used to uh, estimate roughly where they are. The the roots of what's called the Ryman integral, I think, are uh, the the easiest way to approximate where the the next common the next prime number is going to be. You've got to basically go through all the numbers, all the integers, trying to find one that can't be divided by any of the integers below it except one. Now that is an incredibly time-consuming process. Uh, and we actually, these days, when, when a new prime number is discovered, uh, because we have gone so far into working out what those are using computing technology, when a new prime number is discovered, it's actually a news item. Right. Now, when and you then become, multiply… And it becomes a new Bitcoin. Assists, no. 
No, no, hang on. You're jumping ahead there, mate. Hang on. <laughs> All right, okay. Uh, multiplying, multiplying sets of known prime numbers together can generate uh, new combinations, uh, new, new numbers, which you then have to work out uh, whether that number is generated uh, with, with a particular number could be factored by a number of prime numbers. And that, that is the – that I believe, and I'm happy to have people in uh, the Patreon community correct me if I'm wrong here because actually I've been quite impressed with some of the feedback I've got from Patreon users who clearly know more about engineering than I do. Um, and there will be people in the computer computing than I do as well, so feel free to add comments here, everybody. Um, but that, that, is the, that is the basic story. It's using combinations of prime numbers and the, the difficulty of locating what prime numbers generated – uh, that actually work to generate the next thing in the in the in the bit in the blockchain technology behind Bitcoin. Uh, you, what you get is a set of zeros that precede a, a transaction, and it's also a collective effort to verify that a transaction is actually valid. And this is the part that I have had explained to me before, but I, I'm sure again somebody in the in the Patreon community will give a better explanation. But, but it, you it, have it, to generate a whole series of zeros, right? Okay. And, and the probability of doing that is, is the random numbers that do that are highly improbable and therefore you verify the transaction. So uh, have I got this right then? Irrespective of, of, of how it actually works, it's an algorithm. And uh, some of Absolutely. So, yeah. so, so some Bitcoins have been created, the algorithm has been created, that has been arrived at, a solution has been found. Bitcoin is created, it starts its life, it, it, it gets exchanged, it keeps on going up in value because of the way investors work. And. If somebody else discovers a new one that matches this algorithm, then congratulations, uh, you've just landed yourself a, a fortune based on whatever the present value of Bitcoin no, is. No, exactly, the, the first part is correct. The second half is that you then, the verification process verifies that a transaction using that Bitcoin is actually a valid transaction to avoid fraud. Right. So how are we expand, how is it expanding then? Uh, two ways. People are actually out there mining and trying to find, find new Bitcoins, and they then sell them into the universe of Bitcoin buyers at the current price of Bitcoin. Right. So that's where the profitability from the miners and they, comes and from. Doing, and how are they mining it? They just find, Aren't they just finding something that matches the algorithm? Isn't it? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, to okay. do it, you've got to go through – it's, 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 it's brute number crunching. Right. They, they have enormous computer arrays of computers – just grinding through finding numbers and seeing whether any of them actually fit, match the algorithm. And it's enormously it, – it, it, it takes 10 minutes on, a, on an array of supercomputers. Actually, that, that's, that's to verify. To actually find a new Bitcoin, I don't know how long it's taking now, but it could be weeks, months, that sort of thing to find a new Bitcoin. Okay. So what's the point? I mean, if, um, if, it, if it's not there as something that people are going to – physically used to buy stuff. I mean, I thought initially that the whole idea of Bitcoin was, you know, we all buy stuff online. Uh, here's a currency that you could use online. And uh, perhaps it makes it easier that we all trade a bit like, you know, companies used to trade with the uh, with the ECU before uh, the European Union started. It's it's easier to trade in a, in a shared currency rather than uh, uh, cross, cross borders using different currencies. I thought initially when I first heard about the Bitcoin all those years ago, that was the idea behind it. But it sounds like, no, it's uh, in a way it's uh, intellectual stimulation for some and now it's being used by traders rather than as a substitute for gold in effect. Uh I think that's really what's happened because there was there, there was the potential to go in either of those two directions. There could have been a basis, a whole new basis for transactions, mm. and that would have been you know an interesting challenge to the fiat money system. Instead, it's become because the price continues rising because of speculative buying. It's become another gold. It has potentially become another tulip. 
And this is the question. If it never actually gets used for transactions on a grand scale, then it's simply a speculative commodity. And if people ultimately at any point lose lose any faith that it's going to continue rising in price, then it can fall as much as tulip prices did. Mm. And that's the that's the worry. There have been a couple of serious crashes in the past. But the main thing that keeps it going, I think, is people's, first of all, the fact that it is rising. That's the positive feedback loop, which is itself a danger. But secondly, there's so much chaos, which is quite evident in the monetary systems around the world, the actual fiat monetary systems, that that continues giving credibility to something which doesn't require uh, central bank banking, which is not created by private banks. But it's, it's also expanding in number all the time then. Um, not a lot, not a lot. Right. This is the whole thing. The, 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 initial, yeah. the initial bitcoins were easy to locate because you're working with small to sell, imagine with smaller uh, combinations of prime numbers. Now as the algorithm goes further, that's why I said there's apparently 40% of new bitcoins, and there may be lots of them produced. Again, I'm not aware of the volume. Again, I, I'll, I'll let listeners uh, uh, fill me in on the actual details there, but the the bitcoins are now apparently forty percent of them are being produced by a set of data uh, mining systems uh, based in Mongolia for both cheapness of labour and cheapness of energy, and uh, and that's where most of it's coming from. And that's also raising a range of issues too about uh, you know, just how how much is the market being cornered. Um, by particular nationalities. So it's, uh, it's, it's a much more complicated story than just the algorithm, and here's a nice way to find an alternative to, uh, to fiat money. So what about, um, away from Bitcoin, what's to stop somebody like Amazon, um, well, probably actually Amazon, you know, or eBay, somebody who has a lot of online transactions, uh, you know, and we've sort of got it in a, sort of in a way with PayPal, um, saying, well, let's, let, let's facilitate a payment system uh, that can be used online and to get over this fluctuation of, uh, of, of currencies from people buying internationally, let's create our own currency. And uh, all of a sudden it becomes, you know, if it grows to scale, it becomes, you know, one of the world's most dominant currencies. Couldn't that happen? But yeah, that's that's another feasible combination because the blockchain technology itself doesn't have to be uh, run by a decentralized organization. It could be centralized. And I think if it was centralized, it'd be much, much faster to verify. And therefore, that 10-minute delay may be replaced if you had PayPal producing its own currency. At the moment, of course, if you use PayPal, you get American dollars, uh, uh, whatever, English English pounds, Australian dollars, whatever you've actually uh, got your payment in, that's the form in which it's stored. And that's also uh, another way to verify. But the money itself is being created by the uh, private banks and by the central banks of those countries. I mean, you know, it could be, they, yeah, they become a bank. Uh, we just exchange money between us. We buy stuff using PayPal dollars or whatever they might be called. Uh, and, uh, you know, and we buy almost everything through Amazon using PayPal dollars. Uh, people buy stuff, make stuff uh, using suppliers that are paid in PayPal mm. dollars. Uh, yep, that's um, all feasible. Right. And what does that mean to um, to governments and central banks and the sovereignty of currencies? Well, again, you've got to be using something other than the national currency for that to actually be a challenge. Uh, and the, in, in that sense, probably the, 
the real challenges are being faced not by the governments themselves, but by the private banks. And I think the main place where this is happening is actually Africa, where a lot of people are using money created by telecommunications companies uh, to make transfers on their mobile phones because there are virtually no one compared to compared to population compared to what we're used to in the West. There are virtually no bank branches in Africa, but there are virtually everybody has a mobile phone. And uh, some of the neatest technology I've heard there is on on occasions to enable the transactions to occur uh, because you don't have the the same digital network again. Uh, some of the software involves putting one phone next to another and one phone will generate a, a sound tone which has been scrambled and when it's decoded on the other side that verifies the transaction itself so they're actually using audio to enable people to use old-fashioned non-smartphones to make those transactions so the real challenge there i think is to the banks themselves because a large amount of the money they make out is is out of the simple transactions you and i do on a daily basis charging fees on it if that went across to telecommunications companies or indeed to amazon that would reduce a large part of the profitability of these banks and that i think is probably a more interesting challenge in the long run than bitcoin itself but it would also remove the influence of central banks, wouldn't it? I mean, maybe they haven't got as much influence as they think they have anyway. But uh, it, you know, it would it would put an awful lot. Of, I mean, if it became a dominant currency, it would put a lot of. Uh, world power in the hands of these corporates, wouldn't it? Uh, yeah, but it's, it's still it's, it's still a system for transacting in current in existing fiat currencies. And central banks have already abrogated that power to a large degree by falling for the whole line about austerity and, uh, and, and believing they can control everything using the interest rates. Uh, rather than worrying about the quantity of money, so I think they've already lost that particular particular field. Uh, the real challenge, is, as I say, is is the the one people who are in that field creating money are the private banks, and if instead people start using uh, telecommunication system for transactions rather than the banks themselves, then they've got a serious challenger in terms of taking over their market share. Right, and how inevitable do you think that is? I mean, you know, you're uh, saying it's already happening in Africa, but what about in the West? Well, it's, it would then come down to the cost of transaction because, again, you know, we're used to – I mean, you look at your credit card bill. I, I, I keep mine you know, pretty close to zero all the time. But the rates of interest on credit cards are, what, 14 times mm. the reserve rate? You're looking, you're looking at rates of 25% quite frequently on credit cards. Now, um, that's – and they make money out of the transactions as well, though, in, when you go – uh, do any shopping as well. There'd be a little transaction fee charged by the bank. They add up. Now, if the telecommunications companies come along and have better infrastructure than the banks and charge at one-tenth the rate, um, then part of the profitability of the banks becomes challenged. And that's when you're likely to see some real fun. I think that's more likely to be a serious challenge to the banking system's uh, monopolies than, than Bitcoin has turned out to be. Um, the reason I was I was asking about whether it could be abused by corporates that start to operate, like eBay, for example, or uh, or PayPal, who, who create their own currency and it becomes very dominant around the world, then presumably they could start behaving like central banks and they could start saying, well, look, let's weaken our currency now in the same way that central banks do um, to try and make um, uh, you know exports, or the, in this case, the purchases of goods using our currency uh, more cost effective so things appear cheaper if you're using our currency rather than using any other currency or indeed buying anything through other channels like through uh, department stores and the like 
Yeah, but if you're doing it at that scale, the um, the potential for it to be exposed is extreme. Whereas what actually happens with the with the fiat money system, I'll be talking about this on Russia Today tomorrow on the Boom Bust Report, uh, is that for example the the London interbank offer rate was used as the basis for setting all interest rates in the belief that there were huge numbers of transactions in LIBOR and therefore it was the lowest possible cost market and therefore that's that should be the floor interest rate should be set above it. It then turns that out, out that uh, in fact. That's based on the whole model that banks have to have reserves to lend and therefore they're borrowing reserves from each other all the time and therefore this is a very, very fluid market. That's bullshit, as I've explained frequently um, with, with, with on Patreon and my, my writings. Banks don't need reserves to lend and therefore the number of transactions is actually quite trivial. And apparently in one of the markets, which was being used to set the LIBOR rate, uh, there were a total of 15 transactions in a year or 25 transactions, I forgot which, but a trivial number of transactions. So there's more potential for these uh, things to be manipulated under the current banking system than it would be if, say, if say eBay uh, started producing its own currency. Well, I guess, yeah, I mean, if eBay says, uh, well, here's our currency, I mean, the, normally, of course, as we've seen with Bitcoin, uh, people just start trading it. And so it loses all sense of, of, of value because uh, because of the trading environment. I guess if they say, well, that can't happen, this currency is only for buying stuff through our stores, um, mm. then uh, you, you can't see that speculative trading happening. Potentially, and that's one of the one of the that's one of the weaknesses of Bitcoin. It's so dominated by the speculative side these days that it's not particularly amenable for transactions. But if you had um, the same basic idea of a blockchain technology to give you the, the safety, reduce the need for a back office so you can reduce your overall costs, so therefore you've got a cheaper infrastructure than the banking sector, and then you want to make it for transactions, so you manage to set up systems that make this, uh, that block the speculation, and that's quite feasible with a company like eBay or PayPal, then you could actually generate a, a currency which is used for buying and selling things through PayPal, and then you have a serious challenge to the banking system. Yeah, well, absolutely. Uh, for, and for traders, I mean, you've got a whole load of currencies that people trade in, and another currency that's not being used for speculation that's presumably mm. holding its value more is less susceptible to peaks and troughs because um, uh, it's only being used for transactions. Yeah, I think that's a feasible challenge. Whether it'll actually happen or not, uh, depends on anybody on Patreon as a PayPal manager. (laughs) But the opportunity is there. I I think it is. can't help feeling they're working on it. Um, Anyway, a lot more sense than Bitcoin, that's for sure. Good to talk, Steve. Uh, Look, next time, uh, we're going to look at um, the retirement crisis. How did we get into it? How do we fix it? We'll talk about that next time. Okay. And for now, that is the Debunking Economics Podcast with Professor Steve Keen. I'm Phil Dobby. We'll catch you next time. Thanks for listening. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. If you've enjoyed listening to Debunking Economics, uh, even if you haven't, you might also enjoy the Y Curve. Each week, Roger Hearing and I talk to a guest about a topic that is very much in the news that week. It's lively, it's fun, it's informative. What more could you want? So search the Y Curve in your favourite podcast app or go to ycurve.com to listen.